Hello, and welcome to another episode of What's on the Pile. I'm Nathan Besner, and joining me this week is Shane Lee. What's up? Jane Belcastro. Yo. Matt Wagner. It's Wagner. And Jenner. Jenner here. Tonight we're starting our Halloween Horror Month with Warlock, the 1989 Steve Miner film about an evil witch played by Julian Sands traveling through time while being pursued by Richard E. Grant. After that, we'll be taking a look at the horror aficionado classic, Reanimator, a film about a medical student played by Jeffrey Combs who has the ability to reanimate the dead and the hapless victims along the way. Uh, let's start with Warlock. Uh, Shane, this was uh, from your pile, and uh, you were watching yep. it because uh, of your Halloween tradition, right? Yep. So every every October, I watch at least 31 films, all horror films, all of which I've never seen before, and this was on my list. And I presented my list to the group, and this was one you guys chose to do for the podcast. Hmm. <clears throat> so um, I've never seen it. I do vividly remember, like many uh, horror movies, the VHS box cover for this. And the VHS box for this one's pretty innocuous, but uh, any any tape in that section, to me, held just unspeakable terror, like unimaginable, unspeakable terror. I actually wish I'd watched this back then, because I think I would have liked it. It's, <laughs> it's more, I, I would say it's more fantasy than horror. And it's uh, like yeah, I was going to say I was going to say it, it's really not exactly a horror movie. It's much more of an adventure film. Yeah. And a that, movie. that was uh, adventure film was actually the the thing that particularly uh, jumped to mind on this most recent viewing as well. So I, I think I'm kind of with you there. It's definitely got uh, the, the, the thought that I had when we were watching it uh, the other day was that basically it's a folk horror movie where the folk horror took place before the movie began. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but but uh, the the results of it uh, end up getting transliterated into a, a more or less urban slash road movie type setting. Buddy mm-hmm. road. Yeah, it's buddy road, road movie. movie. Yeah, and e- even though it is it is mostly an adventure film, when it does dip into horror, it it because it's mostly an adventure film, the horror sort of seems more extreme than than you'd expect out of it. It kind of feels like Indiana Jones with a side of Hellraiser. Because we get like moving eye, animate yeah, eyeballs. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's a queasy median for you right there. Yeah, we get animate eyeballs. The final fate of the warlock is particularly gory, and the things he does along the way are pretty, um, pretty severe and rash uh, in comparison to the kind of go lucky um, adventure film aesthetic of the rest of it. Um. The way I always looked at the film was that it's the closest I'll ever get to a Castlevania live action film, because I swear <laughs> to God, Richard E. Grant plays Simon Belmont perfectly in this in this one. It's it's a fun movie. It's it's uh, it's ridiculous. And 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 like you said, Jane, jaunty. It's a jaunty, jaunty. film. And uh, yeah, my uh, oh, sorry. Oh, no, I, th- I think a lot of that has to do with Richard E. Grant, because uh, yeah. he just came off of With Nail and I, I think. Uh, right before this one yeah, yeah I, think, I, I, I think it was right after with null and i and right before how to get ahead in advertising although it was and, although it was released after either of them hmm. uh due to the collapse of new world pictures which i'll get into a bit of sort of the uh the uh, release history of this later on i think mm-hmm. as well before or after henry and Jim. i believe it was uh filmed before but released after yeah oh, okay because i just love Henry and June and um, because of Gothic uh, it, which was 1986 
six. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I loved Julian Sands. Had such a crush on him. And we watched that, like, over. We watched Gothic over and over, and we watched Warlock over and over. And I, of course, managed to forget it all. So it was a complete delight again watching it last night. So. Yeah, as soon as I saw Richard E. Grant's name in the credits, I'm like, oh, no wonder you guys are you guys love this movie because uh, <laughs> I, I know you guys are all Richard E. Grant big Richard E. Grant fans. Well, oh, yeah. as well, you not, should be. Believe it or not, this was the film that actually introduced me to him, as far as I can recall. Uh, I think I first saw this at I want to say something like the 1992 or 1993 Dragon Con, very late at night in one of the video rooms. I had up to that point missed it on video. Uh, but uh, it w- that was that was a wonderful experience in its own right. I'm, of course, I missed it in the theater uh, when it finally got released in 1991. Uh, but I did still ultimately manage to catch it with an audience. This this was one of my first R-rated films that I saw in the theater back in '91. I was very proud of that. I had also seen. Uh, did Graveyard Shift come out before this or after this? Before, I believe. I thought so because yeah. that was my first R-rated film, and then. Uh, and then I saw this, so I'm I'm quite happy I got to see this in the theater. It's a nostalgic classic for me. This is a film that deserves a bigger cult than it has. Uh, mostly because the rights have ended up in a very, very strange sort of hinterland. Uh, I guess this is where I circle back on the release history. This originally was one of the last films that was produced by New World Pictures. Uh, you know, the you know erstwhile releasers of uh, Battle Beyond the Stars and the first two Hellraiser movies and quite a lot of other stuff, but they were in the process of collapsing when this was filmed in 1989, and uh, the rights ended up kind of up for grabs and ultimately ended up landing with, you know, Trimark slash Vidmark, and it was particularly that video release that was one of the things that really put Vidmark home video on the map, uh, because it was quite successful, as I understand it, uh, on video, to the point where it finally gained something of a cult uh, cult following, But, of course, eventually Vidmark collapsed and ended up getting absorbed into, uh, I think, uh, Artisan, which ended up collapsing and getting absorbed into Lionsgate, which ironically had provided the sound mixing studio for the original release way back, or for (laughs) the original film way back in the first place. This is an interesting collection of credits to kind of go post-mortem on. Uh, I mean... The, uh, the makeup work for uh, the wonderful Mary Waranov as the uh, fake seer who becomes a real seer whether she likes it or not uh, yeah. was done by Alec Gillis and Tom Woodruff Jr. right after, or uh, not too long after, having worked for Stan Winston on Aliens and probably right before they started work on, uh, on Alien 3 where they were pretty much the effects leads. Uh, the screenplay is David Toohey. Uh, subsequently the creator of uh, Pitch Black and the Chronicles of Riddick and Riddick, uh, director. I remember him uh, uh, from The Arrival. I I always loved that Mm. movie with the backwards-legged aliens. Oh, yeah. yeah. Did The the Arrival, uh, directed the woefully underappreciated World War II submarine ghost story uh, Beneath, Beneath. uh, or or, sorry, Below, uh, from uh, from a Darren Aronofsky script, which is an interesting pairing in its own right. So this is a kind of fairly early in a fairly illustrious career. In the meantime, this was uh, Steve Miner t- uh, having come off of, I think, like four of the Friday the 13th movies. He did uh, to... He did two and three. He did two and three. He's uh, kind of uh, pitching after kind of not really doing anything for a little while, uh, more toward something mainstream. And of course, the next film that he did after this was the Mel Gibson romantic vehicle Forever Young. 
before laying low for a while again and saying fuck it making uh, Halloween H2O. <laughs> uh, but uh, so so uh, it, it's an interesting collection of characters but uh, like I say it's it's a witty and ingenious screenplay. Uh, it's uh, got wonderful chemistry between the two rather lovable leads, uh, Laurie Singer. Not a great performance, but a gutsy performance uh, for, for a cute actress in the 1980s, mm-hmm. considering that she spends half the movie uh, uh, as uh, twice her, uh, her, uh, her, the age of her character and, uh, and uh, subsequently you know, three times the age of her character. This is one, um, of, the, one of the few films I, where I like the old makeup, the aging makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, it was good. It's, it's, it's very really impressive. Good. It holds time. up. I spent a good bit of the film trying to figure out where I knew her from and before I realized what I was actually thinking of was Melanie Griffith in uh, Cherry 2000. So. <laughs> I was going to say, if you know her from anything, it's probably Footloose and maybe The Man with One Red Shoe. No, I didn't didn't know her at all. It turned out. <laughs> yeah, Footloose. I knew Footloose. Saw that went yeah. in the theater. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, great score by Jerry Goldsmith. Mm-hmm. Goldsmith. They got Goldsmith to do a New World score, and yeah. then it sat on a shelf for two years. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, wonderful score. If anything, uh, finally seeing it on a proper surround system. Uh, this other night made me appreciate it just that much more. I have really got to hunt up uh, a, a score for this because it kind of represents uh, an interesting median between uh, Goldsmith's uh, earlier incidental work, uh, not so much the anthematic stuff uh, for Star Trek The Motion Picture, uh, and his uh, his later work for The Shadow, which I think was an uh, ex- extremely underappreciated film as well. Uh, but with a bit more electronics that he didn't really mess around with, uh, if I recall, outside of Total Recall. It's a it, it's a fantastic score. I wish I could find a physical copy of it. Yeah. Sorry, didn't mean to suck up the all all the oxygen there. Every, everybody everybody move forward. <laughs> um, something that I find interesting about uh, about this film is that it holds back a lot, especially for Steve Miner did things like House as well. Um, mm-hmm. It, it holds back on a lot of its violence. It doesn't show you the, the, apparently they shot it, but it doesn't show you the aftermath of the kid who gets killed, which is a right. big trigger for two of us Good. on this podcast. I, I asked you, the, I asked you the other day, Nate, like, did he really kill that kid? And is he drinking his fat? Yes. I, I watched it late at night and I was like, did that just happen? That's <laughs> yeah. Fucking that, awful. That's yeah, actually. He hated the, they... the leftovers on the train too. Yeah, if you uh, no, they they managed to be elliptical about uh, about enough about it that uh, Sands remains a hissable villain as opposed to a vile villain. Uh, it, yeah, that, that was sort of a delicate juggling act given some of the nasty shit that he does there. Which which of course is fairly loyal to the um the folklore having to do with witches and flight and stuff like that, which you'll also get if you watch the Vivitch. Um, which is what happens to the little brother who gets stolen at the very beginning because it's the rendered fat of a unchristened child, which is normally turned into an ungent or an ointment in order to enable witches to fly. But uh, in this case, they make it into a potion for some reason. Just put it in a can, heat it up, drink it. Is, yeah. is, it, is that movie pronounced the Vavitch? I've seen that movie. And I have point. no idea. I'm I mostly pronouncing witch. it that way as a joke. It's, it's the okay. witch. Yeah. <laughs> I still no, the, haven't seen that. Oh, you would oh like it's it. actually really yeah. good. Yeah, it is. That's on it my is pile. Very, very good. You should, Which... you should see the, uh, the Lighthouse, too. Have you seen The Lighthouse, Nate? Nope. That's also on my oh. pile. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I smell a double feature in the office. Right. Yeah, there yeah. you go. 
Well, that... No, the... Uh... Go, oh, go ahead. I was going to say back to Warlock. <laughs> back to Warlock. <laughs> no, the, the leading into real or realistic uh, witch folklore is one of my favorite things about this movie. Mm-hmm. Most particularly the meeting between the uh, the old Mennonite guy and uh, and uh, Richard E. Grant's uh, Redfern. The bit where, you know, Redfern shows up and, you know, he and the, and the Mennonite are all business. It's just like, you're Amish? Mennonite. Shake hands. <laughs> let's get some, let's get some shit done. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful moment. Uh, the, the fact that they managed to take, you know, this kind of, you know, general theme and construction and turn it into a road movie, mm-hmm. a road buddy movie is sort of amazing. Yeah. Uh, it, it's another one of those things that makes Warlock the Armageddon that much, uh, the first sequel, I haven't seen the second sequel, but the first sequel that much more disappointing because Sands, I mean, Sands was the face, but he wasn't the juice. It was, you know, Richard E. Grant was the juice. Uh, his, uh, his byplay with Laurie Singer was the juice of this thing. That's that's the thing that I carry away from it. Yeah, I definitely came away with a, uh, a new love of Richard E. Grant from this movie. Uh carried over Go. into going all the way to Hudson Hawk and uh, his work on that, which is, which we quote quite often. Uh, I'll torture you so slowly, you'll think it's a career. I, I, uh, I needed that to come out at some point during this uh, this podcast. Yeah. It had to happen. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's worth noting that Grant is, uh, in certain regard, Grant's character has plenty of ego, but Grant himself shows no ego whatsoever in this movie. Uh, he, he manages to be, you know, all business and, and yet sympathetic, empathetic, tender. The scene where he is salting the the, uh, the the leather and just spitting on that rough fur coat that he wears through the entire movie. Uh, that 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 is an actor in the zone. <laughs> it also it also bears mentioning that the entire film is sort of a fish out of water story, but it isn't either cute or overly zealous with it both of these characters get dumped into the 20th century from the from the 1600s and yeah there's a little bit of wobbliness in the adaptation but it doesn't spend a lot of time on it and sans pretty much figures out his situation and uh turns out his methods work pretty well today too (laughs) (laughs) i was i was actually hoping for more fish out of water stuff i'm just a sucker for that kind of stuff like Hmm. that's like the only takeaway i got from star trek 4 is them walking around (laughs) not knowing what because that was the first star trek movie i ever saw i never didn't know the tv show or anything like that so I was like, oh, I want That's more of this. That's a strange place to start that series. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was. Saying. But but the fish out of water stuff worked for me. I mean, that's the stuff I latched onto. So I was I, I, I do agree with Matt that it would it would have been out of place with too much of it, but I just mm-hmm. kind of wanted more because I just think that stuff is amusing. Hmm. It can be amusing, but I kind of like that our characters are intelligent characters who pretty quickly get that, yeah, no, I pretty much figured that this was not the time period that I left. <laughs> it, the, it, the, the business-like approach of uh, bo- both of the two main nemeses is kind of refreshing, really. Uh, mm-hmm. I kind of like that they didn't belabor the fish-out-of-watery stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they had the flavoring, but it wasn't, like, too much. It was just right. I will, I, I will say one point that I, I can't get past. So the main character, the, the love interest, I'm sorry, I forget her name, um, is diabetic. And that never really comes back, despite 
a lot of lampshading of it very very early in the story. I was expecting it to do well, something well, more than it did. It gives, well, her, it, it gives her the syringes to use at the end. Yeah, it, well, it, was okay. a, it was absolutely pivotal in the climax. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, I didn't think of that. Yeah, that that was the that that was the payoff for the uh, uh, for Chekhov's insulin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> insulin needles. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Oh, the uh, Cassandra with a K. That's yes. right. <laughs> um, the scene where Cassandra with a K uh, is running after her b- bracelet with the train, uh, mm-hmm. the train yeah. going faster and faster, and she keeps tripping and whatnot. I think is is kind of a masterclass in tension. I mm-hmm. uh, I found that to be a, an incredibly tense segment and uh, really stood out as an in, as a good scene in the in the film to me. That's okay, actually. But I... it wasn't going that fast. And yeah. <laughs> let's be honest, she's sixty. All right. I think she well, was up to like eighty. I am seven. No, sixty, because it was twenty years every day. She was. 40, yeah, she was sixty at that point. 60. Okay. I am seven years away from that, and <laughs> if I can't chase after a train by then, well. I just took it as a solid example of, oh, this woman cannot catch a break today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was, you know, uh, I was assaulted slightly. Oh, I think you're supposed to take it that she's newly 60. So she went from being 20 to being 60 in yeah, two she hasn't, days. She hasn't worked out in 40 years. Uh, okay. <laughs> that whole scene, I was like, please please let her catch this bracelet so this poor <laughs> actress can stop wearing the makeup. She's got pennies in her mouth, which is so awkward looking, and just let her get the bracelet. And I was, I, it looked like she wasn't going to get it. And then, you know, just the, the cutaway to the bracelet on the ground, I was like, yes. I will I, say, why didn't she use the pennies in the graveyard? You know, I don't even remember what the pennies are for. But she didn't have the pennies in her, her mouth during the fight. It, it was it was supposed ward. to be to catch errant magic or prevent errant magic from getting to you. Well, it, I, it, I, I do absolutely, I do absolutely love the gag of driving nails into the impressions mm-hmm. uh, that the yes. warlock has left behind, uh, as well as the uh, logical, sympathetic magic of relieving the pain in his feet by holding a board to it to catch the nail driving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that was a goofy scene when he's just like, ah, oh, my feet! I will say that oh, is, that particular scene is the only... It, that was the first time I saw Warlock, was I caught it on TV, and it was from the point where she chases him into the train yard to the point where she gets the, the charm bracelet back. And I had no idea what was going on, but I was absolutely fascinated with the film <laughs> because I literally just flipped channels and landed at that point. You know, this is, this is a movie that is largely designed to, uh, uh, to give you a smile, even if you go into it uh, looking at it as a horror movie. It has the horror aspect, but it definitely has that sort of adventure aspect. It has the road buddy comedy aspect. Uh, it, it, it's got something for almost everybody, uh, you know, given the R rating and certain mm-hmm. parameters of, uh, well, of the overall plot. You know what you get if you take this movie and you turn the dial uh, more towards the horror end of the scale is you basically uh, from away from adventure towards horror, but with basically the same feel, the same sort of level of expertise is you basically get waxworks. Oh, good old waxworks. No. I probably need to see that one again. That left me a little bit cold the first couple of times that I watched it. I still have it on tape here somewhere. But... I remember it better than it deserves because the ending is a total mess, but it, it still has some good parts. I uh, used to like Waxworks, too. 
Waxworks yeah. too had its moments. That whole riff on the haunting, uh, you know, gives me a chuckle. The rest of the yeah. movie, again, was a bit of a mess. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Uh, after a rewatch, I, I kind of decided maybe I was uh, mistaken in my younger, in my youth. <laughs> <laughs> Things come around. Um, oh, no, this. Uh, no, go ahead. Oh, oh no, go ahead. Oh, I was I... just going to going to waps rhapsodic some more. So I mean, Lord, Lord knows that we probably had enough of that already. <laughs> <laughs> I I was just going to make a comment. Um, uh, you can really tell in the in the uh, airport scenes. You can really tell this movie is pre nine eleven. And oh, you know, yeah. yeah, I said the same. It felt mm-hmm. like oh, dude, and a dude was smoking a cigarette on the plane yeah. and everything. Wow. Well, I just no, love the spiral staircase it's... on the airplane. Oh yeah. yeah that was I never got that, right. That was a seven, that was a 747. Yeah. yeah, but I I don't think you could smoke back then. Yes. Um, oh yeah, I I I, rem- I remember even that when I was yeah, a kid you could, you could smoke I in thought, planes. Yeah. Okay, cuz see I remember that you could and then you couldn't about the time I started smoking. So. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. And now I just white knuckle through a whole flight. But that's I I do remember sitting on a flight to Taiwan sitting in the row right in front of the smoking section. So I was Ooh. basically sitting in the smoking section for a 16-hour flight. Yeah, Ooh. I got that on a uh, flight from Boston to Arizona in 1986. Uh, that was... Yeah, 1984 from um, Atlanta to Amsterdam with a very, very drunk priest next to me smoking, chain <laughs> smoking. So, that was 84, so... <laughs> now, it, it was a thing that you could do on at least some flights at least up until I think about 90 or 91. So why did Warlock need to take a plane? Can't he fly? Did, did I can, miss something? Well, he can fly, but it would still take him three or four days to go across the uh, the entire country. Yeah. Yeah, plane he, is faster. He was going like 98 miles per hour, I think they clocked him at when they uh, mm-hmm. when they did the, the cops uh, speeding by the cop <laughs> in a shot that doesn't necessarily hold up all that well no oh there was some there was <laughs> well, some goofy ass green screen in this movie yeah well i mean given that this was completely pre pre cgi i actually found the effects work pretty charming especially especially the little animated effects uh for uh, oh the, the fire. Uh, uh, i the like fi- that uh, for the warlock's fire uh particularly yeah. but yeah i mean some of the green screens are a little bit chintzy but at the risk of you know betraying my age, they used to have a thing called suspension of disbelief <laughs> <laughs> it's been eradicated it, well, I still think it holds up great. I mm-hmm. mean, story and, uh, you know, female empowerment and everything. Yeah, I think it was just fine. Um, I would have, I have, I'm thinking about that a lot because Reanimator, but we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I do agree. This is a movie that should be found more. And, and especially nowadays where, you know, fantasy is such a huge genre. This is something that people would watch and love. I, I can imagine back when it came out, was it 86 you said? Uh, it was originally filmed in uh, 1988. Uh, was completed in 1980, uh, 1989, but it was only got released in the United States in 1991 due to that whole you know rights mm-hmm. imbroglio with the uh, New World Pictures falling apart. I mean that's the thing, and I think that's one of the reasons why its cult isn't as big as it should be at this point is because it hasn't had really a a really decent video release at least in the United States in the digital age. Uh, I mean, I have the, uh, I guess, Trimark Home Video full-frame, no-frills uh, DVD release, but it still hasn't had a Blu-ray, to the best of my knowledge, and 
this is a film that would benefit greatly from someone like Arrow or uh, Scream Factory getting their hands on it. Yeah, yeah. You're but right. that being said, it is on Amazon Prime right now. In a very nice HD transfer. If you are one of the few people who doesn't have Amazon Prime, of the four people in our house, three of us each have our own Prime account. So I mean, I figure it's, that's pretty accessible for everybody. <laughs> It sounds like we would all heartily recommend this this movie to anybody yeah. who hasn't seen it. Oh, it's a joy. It is, and it's got that sexy, sexy Julian fan. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh. And the sexy, sexy Laurie Singer with the most amazing party girl wardrobe of almost any character I can think of, where the party girlness was not the focus of the film. Mm-hmm. Oh, and you know, she, she is actually, you know, she, she has her own style without being... The um was the manic pixie dream girl. She's not. I mean, she manages to be the you know very capable. She and she is a good str- head on her shoulders while being stylish she, and kind of happy go lucky. I mean, I mean, she's a thrust into an absurd situation, but she gets her mind around the absurd situation. She is a, a strong and capable heroine. I also really love uh, uh, the uh, the exchange. You got to watch. Yeah, time me. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> but then she proceeds to pack. A, li- a little bit too much. She could have uh, yeah. asked the police to stick around a little longer. Well, but then it well, and I will fun. say, I mean, I am the last person to, to criticize fashion choices, but she was wearing a puffy jacket in Miami. Yeah, I'm sorry, she cool. would be sweating that thing out well, in 10 cre- minutes. Credit where credit is due. It was Malibu, but still. Okay. Uh, <laughs> still. Still probably pretty hot. Yeah. Any final thoughts from you, Shane? No, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the movie. I, I was pleasantly surprised. I, I, you know, I wasn't expecting a yeah. fantasy adventure, which is why I think, you know, nowadays it, it would go over really well. I can imagine back when it came out, fantasy was more of a niche genre. And nowadays, everyone's into fantasy. You got Lord of the Rings, Wheel of Time's coming out. Like, this is something that, would, that I think anybody would love. I mean, you have, to be, you have to be prepared for it to be a little goofy, which is part of its charm. It is a goofy-ass movie in a lot of ways. Um, it's not particularly scary, so if, if you're it, it like does a... it does have some really terrific suspense. Uh, I really was struck by just the epicness of the set piece in the graveyard at the climax of the movie. Mm-hmm. The, uh, uh, the 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 suspense of that whole sequence really hit me in a way that it hadn't, I think, since that first viewing. Of course, it has been a while since I've seen this, but it, it's a lot more suspenseful than scary per se. There are a couple of little gross out moments. Yeah, a little bit of gore. Yeah, I, I mean, he, he, he spits out a guy's tongue and then it, what, cuts to a piece of chicken or something? I feel like I've no, seen... No, no, that was... Cuts to an okay. omelet, omelet, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like I've seen shots like that in a lot of 80s horror movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the little kill your gaze moment uh, at, uh, at the beginning of the film is unfortunate. Yeah. There's a lot worse from the same era. I mean, at least, uh, at least this guy had someone to speak up for him with the cops afterwards. Uh, what, what was the line? Not queer, big difference. It's, Queer meant yeah. something very, very different back at the yep. uh, back during that period. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's one of those ones that's been reclaimed to a way that this might be a little tone deaf in its earlier parts by cur- uh, by current standards. But uh, it, it's it sets itself what right uh, the moment that Richard E. Grant reappears in the movie uh, <laughs> after the uh, after the period opening, uh, and really. Aside from maybe a little bit of asshole suspense to making the train start going in the train yard sequence, 
uh, just to you know, just to give us you know stick us the thumb screws a little bit uh, a little bit more so to speak. <laughs> thumb screws. <laughs> see, you see what I did? You saw what I did there. I did. But uh, I was like, is that intentional? Awesome. <laughs> really, kind of never sets a foot wrong. Um, aside from our, our protagonists taking too ro- too long to uh, realize that they are not uh, on the hallowed side of the fence uh, in the uh, in the climax. But, yeah, it's yeah. forgivable. It's forgivable. They're, they were caught up in the moment. I remember this being one of my major sick day films. I would always pair this with uh, Tremors because I felt like they had a similar kind of, well, jauntiness to them. Mm-hmm. These are films that will make you happy. They're, they ostensibly fall in or adjacent to the horror genre, but they are movies that are designed to make the viewer happy. Yeah, well said. Which is worth noting once again. Just pretend that this movie does not have any sequels. Yeah, don't see them. Just don't see them. Just ignore their freaking existence. I, I swear to God, I saw Warlock the Armageddon in the theater, and I think that was one of the worst movies I ever saw in the theater. It's the only movie I can think of where playing Spot the Reference actively pissed me off. <laughs> it's not because a good film. It's a bad film. <laughs> or if you're like me, probably watch it and then forget it. Or, you know. Lucky, because I don't remember. I, I'm pretty sure I saw it. I must have. And they did. Really and fast. they didn't even get Julian Sands back for the third one. So, no. Oh, so what's the point? I probably saw it too, yeah. but I don't know. I've never even seen that one. Our <laughs> uh, artisan had a bad run of uh, third movies in low key franchises uh, around that point. I still haven't seen the third Candyman movie either. I liked. You the don't third need ca- to. I liked it. I liked <laughs> really? the third Candyman. I I am. I'm a huge Candyman fan, so <laughs> it's kind of like uh, it's just one of those things where I'm going to like it regardless. I I have a similar fair. I have a similar problem with Hellraiser. There you go. Yeah, yeah. you get yeah. it. And I, and I have to deal with Hellraiser nine. So, ooh, <laughs> ooh. Um, does anybody have any final thoughts on Warlock? Um, just sort of a a, a, a side there is that. You're right, this is a movie that makes you happy, which makes the moments which are the moments of peril and the moments of uh, pure horror in it all the sort of more startling about it. So we have, you know, the off-screen but still implied death of a kid. We have eyes torn out of the uh, the seer, genuinely gory ending to the warlock at the very end and then getting cru- his skull crushed in. It's sort of, it's not at all tone deaf, but it is a definite flavor that startles right in the middle of the jaunty adventure film <laughs> and uh it it makes for kind of a unique experience among these these uh 80s horror films now i'm actually going to add that you know i understand what you're saying there mm-hmm. and I, I absolutely agree but you know it, it sort of sets the stakes i mean these people are you know having a jaunty little buddy road movie but stakes were really high i mean and that poor yeah, that poor Mennonite been... man could have gotten blinded, so yeah. yeah, but they did fix that. Yeah, I know. Like, I, it's baby. just that that's sort of the epitome because you feel so damn sorry for that guy who just yeah. kind of had He was kind of the life. man. Yeah, he yeah. was the but man the stakes, and then the stakes were high. And then and... even even strong, wonderful guys like the Amish man yeah. were being laid low. Mm-hmm. And so you know, he needed to be stopped. Yep. That's that's sort of how I saw it. Okay. All right. Well, on that, uh, let's go ahead and take our break. We will be right back. 
And we're back. Uh, next up, we're going to be talking about Reanimator. This is a uh, this is a certifiable classic. Um, this was one of my uh, big entrances into the horror genre back when I was younger, seeing uh, getting into horror. Uh, Reanimator was very important to uh, my uh, upbringing as a as a horror kid. Um, seeing it through twenty twenty one eyes should be should make for an interesting conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not. I'm not sure where to start with this film, honestly, because there are parts I like about it, but there are parts that I now vehemently dislike. Um, does anybody else get that feeling, or is oh, it just yeah. me? Oh yeah. Well, I'd never seen it before, and I okay. was like, "Oh, this is a classic. I need to watch it." So it had actually been one of those things I've been meaning to get to. So I guess it's on my pile. Uh, okay. You just completely mistreat cats and women. I'm done. I mean, it's, it's whatever else you've done that might be worthwhile. No, no. I was sickened by you know the treatment of the of the girl in in that. Uh, watching Warlock afterwards helped. You know, that's a, that's it felt a better. Cleanser. But it was. I mean, she had no agency. She was controlled by her father. You know, uh, even her boyfriend was a little controlling, and uh, ended up being violated by her father's friend. I mean. Even if he was like a head and a body, and it was funny. Uh, no, I, I didn't like it at all. So, and the cat—they killed the cat. They did kill Twice. the cat. They no. threatened to kill the cat and warlock. They well, actually, three times. I think they—I think they actually yeah. killed that cat three times. They had to, one of them was off-screen. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Thankfully, yeah, the first one was. Yeah, but you know, Jenner's just like, oh, I. By the way, sweetie, the cat's not okay. This is uh this is very similar to all the films that where the dog don't make it and my wife and if I don't warn her ahead of time I am mm -hmm. in deep trouble. <laughs> yeah. This is a film that uh it is certainly not the uh cinema directorial debut uh that anyone expected for a guy who up to that point had been best known as David Mamet's pet stage director. Um it's it it is a seminal film uh in the history particularly of uh, of uh the modern splatter comedy it's important historically uh there is stuff that is deeply deeply problematic at this point it it mostly plays now as kind of an examination of toxic masculinity it left uh to run unchecked in about three or four different directions simultaneously with, uh, with with poor, adorable Barbara Crampton uh, gamely struggling through as the gizmo to end all horror movie gizmos. Um, but yeah, no, she absolutely gets a raw deal in this. Uh, I, 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 worth noting, of, uh, of uh, uh, Stuart Gordon's uh, Lovecraft movies, I like From Beyond a lot more. Not least because it, it belatedly occurred to me uh, when we were watching this this time that part of the casting and creation of Barbara Crampton's role in From Beyond may have almost constituted an apology for the way that she got treated in this movie. In that one, Jeffrey Combs is the gizmo, and she gets to be the mad scientist, or at least one of the two mad scientists in that movie. Uh, and she still gets regally fucked with, but she is the one character who actually makes it out alive. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, being 
I wonder if I had seen it what uh, 30 years ago, what I would have thought about it. I I probably would have been far more accepting about it. But you know, this time watching it, I was like, oh no, 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 no. Edgy and edgy in 1985 does not quite have the same cachet that 1985 ha- edgy has in 2021. I'm not even sure it might have been considered that edgy back then. It was absolutely no, it was considered that edgy. Well, I mean, it was wasn't, edgy. Okay, well, that that's was, good. The the disembodied head giving head is yeah. a a exclamation point on the edginess of the film, and a kind of statement of the depths of to which its class drops. So, really, I came to this film um, in a completely warped context because I first encountered it on TV. Same here, actually. Yeah, with uh, commercial breaks and uh, several bits pointedly cut out because they weren't going to show that on TV, um, which made a couple of the scenes actually more effective. The best example I always give of this is actually Hellraiser 2. If you watch a TV cut of Hellraiser 2, there is a scene where they're trying to bring back the body from the mattress, and they do it by taking a madman who's been screaming about the... He basically has the DTs. He thinks there are bugs in his arms. They put him on the mattress, they hand him a straight razor, and the camera cuts away, which is an extraordinarily effective thing to do, but in the actual film they show him gouging into his arm with a straight razor, and that is actually much less effective for what you do see. There's a very similar impact in um, Reanimator here from several of the scenes, um, particularly when uh, Combs has to take take one of the reanimated corpses down with the bone saw, it's almost cartoonish the way he actually does it in the film, and it doesn't make sense because he drills through the back of someone <laughs> yeah. horizontally with a circular saw. Which, if, be, you, if you if you look, the closely, blade would not be against the skin. <laughs> well, if you look closely, also the bone saw is never actually on, even when uh, when Doctor Hill is using it on uh, that one poor sap's cranium. Right. Um, and it doesn't make any sense why that would kill the subject anyway. I always, because the version I always saw cut at that point, I always assumed he walked up behind the uh, the reanimated dead and just cut his spine. Well, the thing is, as with Hellraiser 2, the uh, TV version was derived from the R-rated um, <laughs> subsequent uh, release, well, uh, uh, the R-rated release of the film, which in the case of Hellraiser 2 was actually the one that was released theatrically, uh, although we're more used to seeing it in its unrated version on video. The thing about Reanimator was it was released theatrically in the unrated version, which runs mm. about, I want to say, 86 minutes. But its first video release, uh, particularly uh, assembled for rental stores, was an R-rated version, which ran 10 minutes longer, mm. but also has about 15 minutes of uh, 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 different footage. Basically, there's five minutes or so in the unrated version that aren't in the R-rated version. There's... Uh, uh, there's 15 minutes of material in the R-rated version that isn't in the unrated version, which mm-hmm. actually added some fairly interesting subplots, I think, uh, like uh, Dr. Hill's uh, low-key ability as a mesmerist. Exactly. Which is hinted at a bit in the unrated version, but is only really made overt in the R-rated version and the TV version that was uh, edited from it. Uh, I was as... wondering, I was wondering for those of you who hadn't seen it before, which I, I think 
Uh, that's me, just you, Jed? I, I, oh, I, I hadn't seen me. it either. Okay, I was wondering if the mesmerism even came across, because honestly, the first time I saw that in the TV cut, it was fairly mystifying what exactly was happening there. No, I didn't get any of that at all. Thankfully, Jenner even... told me. I don't even really know what you guys are talking. So the so the the evil doctor basically mm-hmm. at two different points conducts hypnotism once on West and once on Barbara Crampton. Com- complete um, uh, complete with the key uh, the key the light key lights on, on, his on, on his eyes as he stares okay. and says, "You I mean, will do what I say." I mean, I did no- <laughs> I did I did notice the lighting, but yeah, it it's kind of implied that it was also how he got all of the secrets that he published from the, the Swiss doctor that West subsequently was somehow involved in the death of and reanimation of. Um, but there's, there's points in it which are... I mean, there are points in it, honestly, which feel cheap, and there are points in it which feel just straight-up clumsy, like the mesmerism. That isn't really spelled out anywhere, and only if you watch it a couple of times do you realize... Oh, is he supposed to be hypnotizing West at that moment where he, like, catches him in the laboratory and talks him into showing him the rejuvenation serum? Yeah, and in the, aspects in the, like that. In the theatrical version, he's just being weirdly intimidating. Uh, um, yeah. in, in the R-rated version, which I, 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 I still find it fascinating that the R-rated version is literally ten minutes longer than the unrated version. This was one of those weird little... You know, early things that I discovered in the history of, uh, of, uh, or in my history with VHS video that uh, that slightly blew my mind. Yeah. Uh, and, and of course, subsequently, all of the uh, the R-rated version has never actually been restored uh, as a thing unto itself for any of the digital video releases. Uh, although all of the de- deleted and extended scenes are usually included as supplements on both the DVDs and Blu-rays. There is, of course, similarly. Uh, a uh, a cottage industry of fan editors attempting uh, attempting to assemble a quote unquote complete version of Reanimator. This led itself to a strange little bit of humor in, in its own right in the release of Bride of Reanimator, the first sequel that uh, the Brian Yuzna directed in 1990, uh, because there is no actual difference in footage between the rated and unrated version, because rental stores had started renting unrated versions by then. But it does have uh, a uh, a card uh, indicating the uh, release status of the soundtrack at the end of the movie. Some people swear that there's about two seconds of additional gore, but I've never seen it. <laughs> <laughs> I've so, I've seen Bride of Reanimator one time, and that was honestly all I needed. I am betting none of you have seen Beyond Reanimator. I have seen Beyond Reanimator. That's the one where he's in he's in a prison, right? Right. Yeah. I have Bre- Beyond Reanimator. I have had it for a long time. I have still not actually seen it. So I'm I'm going to go just a little bit of detail into Beyond Reanimator for the one redeeming moment of that movie. Um, in Beyond Reanimator, it basically theorizes that West figured out what was wrong with his reanimating serum, and in complete violation of most of the premises of the of the original film. He basically comes up with the idea that in addition to having to reanimate the organics of the human, he has to reanimate the spark, which, for lack of a better term, could be deemed a soul. And at one point, he has a theory of reanimate, bringing somebody back completely by reactivating their organics and then putting a spark into them from some other source. And this goes horribly, horribly wrong, of course. 
Someone, of yeah, someone talks him into doing it on the recently deceased loved one, and the loved one comes back very, very wrong, and uh, West is like accosted in the hallway of the prison, and the person says, you said, you said it would bring her back, you said it would put her back just the way she was, and West, in one of the best delivered lines I've ever heard, goes, it was a theory. <laughs> and it is literally the only redeeming moment of that film there's a few other jokes with a pot smoking junkie where we get to see what actually happens when you inject reanimation juice into someone who's still alive yeah. it's not pretty which was and... actually a deleted subplot from uh, the r-rated version of uh, of reanimator as well um mm -hmm. that was that was a there was a subplot about west himself actually being re uh, addicted to his own uh, reagent yeah. Uh, also, it was how he never slept. Um, mm. But I, I don't know. I mean, let, 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 uh, Jeffrey Combs as uh, as Herbert West particularly is kind of an instant icon in the first mm. movie, albeit a very misanthropic and misogynistic and every other miss you can pretty much throw at him mm -hmm. uh, character in, uh, in in the first one. But his line deliveries remain absolutely a thing of beauty. I mean, uh, it's it really speaks to it that he is given some absurd mad scientist dialogue to deliver, and he delivers it with enough gravitas and without winking at the camera in any respect that it actually lands. He he pulls off the, you know, I'll show them all moment next to one of the corpses as he's reanimating it, and it feels legitimate. It doesn't feel like a hackneyed line. He's a campy character, but he feels like a real character. Um, he, he feels like, I, I feel confident that we've all known someone a little bit like that in college. Uh, <laughs> but as much as anything else, I'm given to understand that, uh, Beyond Reanimator is actually a stealth remake of Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. Uh, I, not, I would have to have seen that one. I, I don't know it. That is to say the last of the Hammer Frankenstein movies where basically Dr. Frankenstein at that point, uh, you know, played by Peter Cushing is just kind of continuing to do the things that he's been doing because that's the thing that he does. And, and, and of course it goes wrong because it always goes wrong, but yeah, yeah, clean up, try again somewhere else if I have to. Mm -hmm. Really, I mean, Reanimator the movie, you don't, you don't come to for the supposed main characters. You don't come to it for Barbara Crampton. You don't come to it for... Who's the, who's the other doctor, the lead? Dr. Dan. Bruce Damn. Abbott. Yeah, Bruce Abbott. You don't the, the, the other nineteen eighties Vestron Bruce. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't come to Reanimator for it. Neither of them are given anything good to do, and their chemistry is not the chemistry of human beings. They 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 literally do not feel like human beings in several of their and several of their interactions, especially the moment that made me think of Brokeback Mountain, you know, I wish I could learn to quit you moment right before they are attacked by the zombified corpse of her father and it's like you're not here for that you're wading through that in order to get to dr west and dr hill and it's the anti-hero and the villain yeah it's uh, the anti-hero and the villain and to a smaller degree that security guard that's a guard. Oh, i love the security guard he, he had a, a rich internal life i'm sure of it yes. <laughs> leaves his post to spank it and then all, all hell breaks loose. Yeah, I, I found it interesting, you know, having not seen this movie. That uh, so I knew Jeffrey Combs was the was the guy to watch. 
he has an and credit in the opening. Usually that's, you know, for like a big actor in a tiny role or something like that. Usually like, like in an MCU movie, it'll be like Michael Douglas in Ant-Man or something like that. So I didn't expect the his character to be in it that much. I mean, he was absolutely a delight. He was, he, he was the easily franchise. the best part of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a pity that the franchise never really served him that well, mostly because Stuart Gordon is a much, much better director than Brian Yuzna. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. There, I said it. Uh, I don't think anybody's going to disagree with you. No. Yeah. I was surprised rewatching this at how sloppy this film <laughs> is. Just yeah. the level to which it, it is sloppy. Uh, it, everybody in this universe seems to just be able to hang out in other people's houses and wait for them. <laughs> uh, I, at one point, when uh, when Dan finds the cat and uh, Barbara Crampton comes in behind him and is like screaming because she sees the cat, the scene started with Dan asleep in bed, presumably after midnight or something. Did she just come over after midnight at some point and walk into their house and then see the cat? Like, what was she doing awake? It's a sloppy film. Yeah, I mean, it, that goes as far as a, some of the effects, too. I Combs tries his best to sell it, but there's pretty clearly a stuffed animal stapled to his back in that scene. <laughs> he's just flailing well, around you, the room. You, 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 <laughs> gotta, you, you gotta figure that this was a David Mamet-adjacent script made on Charles Band money. That's exactly what I was thinking. This does have a bunch of the air of Full Moon about it. Well, no, Empire Pictures was literally Charles Band's company. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was the predecessor of Full. No, that's right. That's right. I forgot that. And of course, so they it did does lots of, lots of other stuff at the same time and on similarly threadbare budgets like Trancers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, that's the one that particularly jumps to mind. Of course. From beyond, the follow-up to this did feel sort of distinctly well-fed, mostly because mm-hmm. Reanimator was absurdly successful for a movie that was released unrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and and I think uh, that that did. Sir, I I find I still find From Beyond genuinely, consistently entertaining. Also, you know, distinctly kinkier, which is interesting. But uh, yeah, the, the effects work in that case was a lot better, and the sense of dread is more consistently maintained. Even as it still has, a, a lot of people describe uh, uh, d- uh, d- describe Reanimator as a horror comedy. It's an occasionally funny horror film. Yeah, uh, but uh, you know the the, the uh, to some extent, it almost feels like that was done just to kind of make uh, this gross material more palatable in the first place. And unfortunately, none of that particular sense of humor uh, extended to the wonderfully game and yes absolutely mistreated and utterly adorable barbara crampton one mm-hmm. of the great 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 regrets of my life is that the first days of the dead atlanta back in something like 2011 or 2012 i did not leap at the opportunity seeing her going up to the bar in the hotel where the con was taking place to cover her drinks um, <laughs> would have been classy would have yeah. been classy I was a schmuck, but yeah, well. <laughs> she also gets what I think is one of the worst transitions in any film, which is the no, no, yes, yes transition. Oh, oh yeah. God, uh, I hate that. That that's one of those moments where even even when I would share this with other people back in the day, I would I would kind of cringe at that. Like, come on, 
come on, there's there's a better way to do that. Hey, for what it's worth, in the R-rated sequence, that scene that follows where they're uh, where they're lying in bed uh, talking, that went on for five more minutes. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like torture. Uh, it it was it dragged a little bit. Yeah. The thing was first coming to this movie from the TV version and then the R-rated version, which the TV version was basically edited from. I kind of didn't get the appeal. And then I finally saw the unrated version. It's like, oh, okay, this is as over the top as I had been led to expect that it was. And the pacing is a ton better in uh, the shorter version. Yeah. Granted, it has certain intrinsic flaws that are, you know, stand out in starker relief uh, at this point uh, that uh, it, it, it kind of can't uh, surmount. I think most of uh, Gordon's other Lovecraft-derived uh, films, except for Castle Freak, where I have to say the remake was actually better than the original. That's not uh, setting a high bar. Well, the remake is actually pretty interesting. Uh, mm. The original was one of uh, one of Gordon's weaker movies, and of course, uh, later yeah. after that, he ended up uh, kind of splitting up from Combs, and he ended up getting that guy who looked like Jeffrey Combs for mm. Dagon and the Dreams in the Witch House episode of, uh, of Masters of Horror. Yeah, I was I was actually kind of actively angry when I heard they were going to remake Castle Freak because I'm like, why that one? <laughs> but if they if they actually did something good with it, then I'll I'll take it back and I'll actually watch my copy. Give it a look. Tell me what you think. Okay. Hey. <laughs> this does have one of your. I remember being one of your favorite lines, Jenner, was a uh, plagiarist. Oh, yes. <laughs> Plagiarist is a good one. Also love, who's going to believe you? You're just a talking head. Get a job in a sideshow. Um, <laughs> it, has its, it has moments like that that are very good. And just... almost all of the moments that are very good are between David Gale as Dr. Hill and Jeffrey Combs as Dr. West, or just Jeffrey Combs. Jeffrey Combs. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Jeffrey Combs is just a master of delivery. And so he'll take a one word line, like they're going through all the bodies in the, in the morgue and just picks up one toe tag. Malpractice. <laughs> and move, yeah. moves on. <laughs> the the you know, gallows humor, when it works, works like gangbusters. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and of course, we can't talk about Reanimator without talking about the score by Richard Band. Oh, you mean Psycho. And, you mean yeah. That? Yes. <laughs> On the one hand, yeah. No, speaking of plagiarist. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, ba band uh, band actually acknowledged that he was deliberately riffing on uh, on Psycho, but this is a bit beyond riffing. Aside yeah. from having a bit more of a percussion section and a much more active collection of oboes and bassoons, <laughs> it's pretty much the score from Psycho. But somehow, the score in 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 this movie is aside from uh, the late David Gale as, uh, as Carl Hill and um, uh, uh, Jeffrey Combs as, uh, as, uh, as Herbert West, and credit where credit is due, the physical act of looking at Barbara Crampton, I said it, uh, is, it, it is the best part of the movie. <laughs> and it, it, uh, the, way, the way that it complements the on-screen uh, action, it's a beautiful feat of score editing as much as anything else. Uh, I uh, particularly the bit that sticks with me, aside from the closing, uh, from the opening credits, uh, with their you know wonderful sort of you know spiraling anatomy designs, uh, is uh, is uh, the the very very end of the movie as they cut to black and we all know what's happening, but this mm -hmm. that you know the score kind of dips back in and does that dun dun 
Yeah. And we finally get the payoff from the... <laughs> we finally get the payoff of the fact that the um, rejuvenation serum is basically glow stick fluid, and we see it, the final little dose of it disappear against blackness in the final yeah. closing moments of the, of the film. It is a movie that has some stuff that does not work well. It has a it is a movie that has a lot of stuff that does still work really well. Uh, at this point, it is not a film that could be made today. Uh, they no. that that script would have gotten a major rewrite, preferably by a female screenwriter. Um, it is absolutely. Uh, impossible to overstate its significance to certain major trends in late 80s and 90s horror movies. If this movie didn't exist, uh, then uh, probably uh, Renaissance Pictures couldn't have gotten away with Evil Dead 2, certainly not in actually getting it theatrically released. Uh, Peter Jackson would have never gotten away with Bad Taste and Meet the Feebles and Brain Dead, a.k.a. Dead Alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it 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 is it is an essential film at this point, even if it's one of those things that comes with some distinct caveats uh, going into this, which uh, I, it had not occurred to me would stand out so profoundly uh, going back into this viewing. I I have nothing to add to that because I agree with it completely. <laughs> I had I was surprised by how many problems I had with this film coming back to it, revisiting it, and. Uh, the worst being the treatment of Barbara Crampton. And uh, I was, I hadn't seen it before. I, I used to pride myself on being able to see these things, but I guess I didn't. The The level of male gaziness that that camera has whenever she's on screen is, it's lecherous. It's, it's, it's like the camera is Dr. Gale uh, or Dr. Hill. No. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it's uh cinematically it's just she's a she's a nothing character she's there to be ogled and she's there to move the plot along and not to be an actual character like did we even ever find out what her major was no <laughs> no i don't think so <laughs> no i i do not recall she lived with her father she did what her father father said she saw her boyfriend she snuck out to have sex with her boyfriend uh on the side and it, i just it was awful it was just awful I was like, I, I have seen Reanimator several times over the years, and I'm not claiming any particular um, genius on my part, but I had always remembered that there were large sections of it that you just have to get through in order to get to the good bits, all of which were Jeffrey Combs. And, <laughs> That's um, not a bad way. I'm gonna agree with that. that. I mean, yeah. I, 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 you know, me being upset over that does not mean that it wasn't. No, no, no. Worth I'm seeing not... by any means. I mean, it yeah. apparently was very important to the genre at the time, and you know, I can respect that. I can absolutely respect that. I just, it, it, I, I could not enjoy it today. Yeah, so, it's the, I mean, the, the when I was watching it. And, oh, poor Barbara Crampton. <laughs> yeah, I actually. She, I mean, she she does get some get back in from beyond. We should really talk mm-hmm. about from beyond well, one maybe of these we days. Watch it. Um, I'm I'm kind of turned off right now though. Um, yeah. no rush. Watch something happy for a while. I mean, Rob's going to stick with the October yeah. theme as as we are following I, Shane's pile. I'm I'm a little surprised, uh, Andy, that you're not seeing a little bit of problematic nature in the um the sexual politics of From Beyond as well. Oh no, that movie is <laughs> fucked up as well. I'm just saying that Barbara Crampton has a ton more agency. Oh, she has more agency in it, but that that 
doesn't mean she comes out of it much better. But um, <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm not going to go into the, the convoluted aspects of that. But it's just, if you watch it for anything other than Combs, I'd say watch it for the gore gags. Like you would watch Evil Dead 2 as well. There's what the one of the things that I had forgotten that that struck me as ridiculous when I was 12 was the scene where Barbara Crampton gets grabbed in the elevator and is being throttled and her boyfriend goes, you know, tries for a minute to get the zombie off of her. Runs up the hallway. (laughs) No, no, goes around the zombie runs down the hall, gets an axe, runs all the way back, and then gets back in the elevator before he uses the axe. It's like, hold, hold that thought. I'll be right back. Uh, and an then we're surprised character. that she's dead. Yeah. yeah. That character was such an idiot throughout this entire film. Yeah. I, I really... It's an okay performance as a worthless character, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> well, um... um... Does anybody have any final thoughts on Reanimator before we uh, close out our show? Well, so this was my first viewing, and I took almost no notes during this movie. <laughs> um, pretty much, yeah, I enjoyed Jeffrey Combs. Some of the gore was fun and effective. Some of the head stuff was with Hill was, was kind of neat. Uh, that's pretty much all I got out of it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I understand it's an important film. I'm glad I finally saw it. It's been on my list, my pile, in my my Halloween list for years and years and just never got around to it. So, you know, it's, I'm glad I finally saw it. I don't know if everybody needs to go out and see it, <laughs> especially I, nowadays. I think if you haven't seen it by this point, you're, you might, you might just be okay. Yeah. You can live with watching the things that were inspired by it Yeah. later. Maybe or yeah. I, I under, I, understand that it was a thing in its time and not, nobody had seen anything like it in its time. But there have been other things since then that have worked better. I am totally biased in that. I love Jeffrey Combs. I love everything he's ever been in and his valiant attempt to save even the worst films he's been cast in. And that started for me with this film. So I am totally biased while still acknowledging the absolutely crappy parts of it. Understandable. All right. Well, that'll about do it for us on What's on the Pile. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at What's on the Pile, or you can visit our website, whatsonthepile.com. Thanks for hanging out. Turns out they're more closely related to uh, cacti than, uh, you know, the earth primates, but... <laughs> Deep in the forgotten corners of our galaxy, a mighty space hulk blazes through the stars. Its crew, a motley gang of misfits who are just out for a good time. He's sparking for fuck's sake. They have harnessed the mysterious fuel called nostalgia. And we're off, alright. By remembering the cartoons of their youth. Now, standing in their way, the evil Emperor Sorbak. Stand down and Who just wants to shut their screw down and conquer every planet along the way. <laughs> Thankfully, their ship holds a weapon with enough firepower to restore the balance. Yes, you neglected the anime space cannon. They are. 
the best days of the universe. I think you know damn well who we are. Thursdays at 8. Let's cast this pod. Only on Twitch.